0: Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets, and little man, little Lola wants you.
1: Welcome to Bottoms on Top. I'm Prakash. And I'm Andreas.
2: And we're happy to have you.
1: Well, 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 Prakash, we're back in our home, the Kelly Ryder's House Wexler Recording Studio.
2: After a... Brief and flood related <laughs> interruption. That was kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. It's good to be home though. Also, if we broke that story just casually. Um, we did. <laughs> and
1: we were joking about it, but, but like s- we did.
2: We're a cutting-edge
1: news source. The DP did not report on it, Street did not report on it, the statesman did not report on
2: it. <laughs>
1: the statesman. <laughs> Truly the
2: third in the holy
1: trinity <laughs> of pen newspapers. Period. <laughs> Speaking of the statesman. Production assistant Sammy Gordon had a shout-out in an issue about two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. He wrote an under-the-button piece titled, Gay Statesman Writer Prefers Men Not Only Romantically But Professionally As Well. (laughs) (laughs) Basically just talking about how gay men can be really fucking misogynistic. Right. And the statesman called him out first last name for being homophobic. (laughs) (laughs) I have something on my mind.
2: Mm, Dish.
1: So, Prakash, this past weekend, I took a little bit of a leap and did something out of the ordinary and hosted a party Ooh. with a good friend of the podcast, a Vanessa hostess. Moody. Yes, Vanessa Moody and Naomi Elegant. It was a thank you next release party a week or two late. <laughs> <laughs> what made it fun? We though, stand the sentiment. Yeah, the sentiment was great. What made it fun, though, was that we interpreted what we think Ariana Grande to be. <laughs> and <laughs> dressed up that way <laughs> <laughs> and hosted this little function. And honestly, it was so much fun. We It was one of those parties where you do something where every song comes on. Mm-hmm. So there was like a different drink, a different conversation starter. Vanessa made it this beautiful space-themed wall to take pictures of when NASA came on. <laughs> it was so much fun. One thing that did go bad was we were so excited about planning the party we had forgot to invite people. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds so stupid, but when the party was about to start, we looked at the Facebook page and realized that we had only invited 40 people and <laughs> only about 20 clicked going, <laughs> which means
2: that only 10 people were there. <laughs> Me literally walking in like an hour and a half late and everyone's eating Taco Bell. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I walk over to the table with all the drinks and it's just like a bunch of spicy sauce packets and I'm like, okay. We also, we also
1: did order Crunchwrap Supremes because if you did not know yet, Taco Bell is on Grubhub, available for delivery in Philadelphia. Period. That's it. <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed the
2: function because... I did. I did immensely. And I would also like to comment on the beautiful space wall. It was truly... Truly a remarkable production. It was beautiful. Too bad
1: I did nothing <laughs> to make that. I simply bought the lights. But it's okay.
2: I would also like to point out that the one red balloon literally looked like a desiccated labia. And I could not <laughs> take my eyes off of it for about 20 minutes. And that's not on that.
1: And this is when I wish this was a visual. Yes. <laughs> there are a few times when I wish this was a visual.
2: Because I got I got those receipts. So you know what, <laughs> listeners? If you see me in Locust Walk, Ask me about a balloon-shaped, a labia-shaped balloon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Period. Period. Switching gears a bit, Spring Break is on the horizon. This episode is going to be released right before the start of Spring Break. Mm -hmm. So give you girls something to listen to on your travels.
2: Something on the plane. Train. Automobile. Bus.
1: (laughs) Prakash, you have... Big plans coming up. For I got spring some break.
2: big plans. Tell me I'm about. I'm going it. places. <laughs> <laughs> me and a few other queers, and it is a queer spring break. Are going to Mexico City, which is very exciting. I've actually never been south of the U.S. on this hemisphere. Exciting, anyways. yeah. So, never experienced <clears throat> Latin America, Central America, South America. <laughs> None of it. So, very excited. Um, cannot wait to have me some barbacoa, cannot wait to see some ruins, and cannot wait to experience some queer nightlife. And, like, it's a fully queer group. We got an Airbnb on the cheap, like, each of us is only paying $15 a night. So for those of you who are like, "Mm, I didn't do it this spring break, and I gotta do it next spring break, consider Mexico City. But consider responsibly.
1: Consider right responsibly. (laughs) Um, I'm not going anywhere for spring break. I really just don't feel like traveling. And it's, y'all, we can get in those
2: moods and we're like, we're not into it right now.
1: And I feel like people, I think it's just such a pressure, I think, sometimes to travel and go places where for a lot of people, that's not financially feasible or structurally feasible with different obligations they have. True. But sometimes we just want to kick it at home. Yeah. So I'm taking it easy. I'm going to stay, I think, in Philly for half the break then go back up to New York, see my mom and hearts. She's going on a
2: journey. That's
1: it. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna chill out, enjoy my spring break. I applied for Wendy Williams tickets. Ooh. So I hope I get them. (laughs) Ooh ooh. (laughs) Sound off. (laughs) And before we move on to our next segments today, I just want to remind everyone that our live recording is coming up. It will be Thursday, March twenty eighth, from twelve to one p.m. There will be free lunch serve at the Kelly Writers' house. Teaser photos dropping soon.
2: Who get excited for those. Look out for them.
1: And <laughs> the live recording will be so much fun. It'll be everything you hear on the show and more. We're going to have prize giveaways. We're going to have great conversations about... You You know what we
2: talk about. You know what we talk about. <laughs> it's going to be some winchery. We're not saying that there's going to be poppers involved, but we're not saying that there's not going to be poppers involved. And that's that. On that.
1: So please put in your calendars, March 28th in the Kelly Writers House Arts Cafe from 12 to 1. Ooh On that note, later this episode, we're going to hear from a good friend of the podcast and fellow radio host, Colin Lodwick. We're going to talk about our love for fan fiction. Mm. After that, we're going to have a conversation with Ronnie and Teddy about being out in the workplace.
2: See you then. Whatever <laughs> Listeners, are you over 18 years old? The following segment has been recommended for those of you who meet our age cutoff.
1: Andreas. Welcome back, listeners. We have good friend of the podcast and fellow radio producer Colin Lodwick <laughs> from Kitty's Luncheonette of WXPN Studios. Welcome, Colin. Hello. Glad to be here. We'll call this segment Kitty's Bottom. Or Bottom's Luncheonette. I don't prefer one or the other. <laughs> listeners weigh in at podcast at the (laughs) dp.com the two genders (laughs) (laughs) so today's episode is so special we asked if you were over 18 because we are going to be talking about fan fiction and reading a little bit of smut just a little bit smut have you both ever written or read any fan fictions and which ones
3: I have to say that I've indulged in both reading and writing fan fiction. In high school, I had this thing called my erotic novel that I wrote about my AP calculus professor. Um, <laughs> and it was a Google Doc that I shared with my friends. Ah! It circulated widely around my high school because it was just a very smutty erotic novel about this like widely known teacher. Did it ever get to the teacher? Thankfully, it did not. It was, that that would have been quite disastrous. But yeah, I I wrote this erotic novel. And I recently discovered that I must have deleted it at some point because I couldn't find it, but. I think it might have been for the better. I think definitely for the better. (laughs) I I don't need that in my digital legacy. (laughs) So what kind of fanfic did you
1: bring in today? What pairing?
3: This semester I wrote, or actually, it was for a class. I wrote this piece for Buzz Bissinger's nonfiction writing class, and I published it in Street. And after it was published, this man reached out to me saying that he had a piece that he wrote that he thought I would be interested in. And it's basically the thing that I wrote for Street, but just erotic. It's an erotic account of gentrification of Baltimore Avenue. <gasps> and it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever <laughs> read in my enti- <laughs> entire life. Oh my and Gosh, fuck me with your investment capital <laughs> daddy. Like- <laughs> and that's what I have to share today.
1: I'm so excited to hear it. Before we read that, Prakash, tell me about your relationship to fanfic.
2: <laughs> I used to both read and write. Most famously, I inspired a an Avatar the Last Airbender fanfiction between Avatar Aang and Zuko. You may hear a little bit of that later. But I also famously wrote a gay fan fiction about the top debaters on the high school public forum debate circuit. Oh my gosh. You coming you together, kept it close. We kept it
1: Close. <laughs> oh my! And did they know about this? Was it like Collins, where everyone knew,
2: but the everyone, person? everyone in on my high school speech and debate team knew, and it circulated to like a few other trusted allies <laughs> at other high schools. But none of the people involved knew until one of my friends went to co- the same college as one of them, and like misremembered one of the things that happened in my fanfic as something that actually happened to me. <laughs> And oh my God! Mentioned it to this person, it was like she was she was literally like, "Oh, do you remember my friend Prakash? You two like hung out at like a hot tub at like uh, uh, Tocs or something." Life imitates art. And he was just like, "What? That is beautiful." <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a lesson: don't write
3: fanfiction <laughs> about the people in your life. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it's a lesson.
1: Okay, I've never written fanfiction about anyone I've known. Um, but I used to write K pop fanfic and read K pop fanfic. Specifically exo fanfic. Favorite pairings were Kyungsu <laughs> and Jongin, which would be Kaisu. And I did write my own Kaisu fanfiction and publish it online that I'm a little ashamed of. So now that we know where we all came from, why don't we read some of our favorite excerpts from some fanfics we brought in today?
2: So, listeners, I did not personally write this one, but I was present at the time of its writing. I was very interested in seeing a pairing between Avatar Aang and Fire Lord Zuko from the hit Nickelodeon TV series Avatar The Last Airbender. This is a small excerpt. Uh, It is called Truth or Dare. Save me. (laughs) Zuko only wanted to devour Aang more and more. Hands pressed down on the back of Zuko's head, signaling he wanted him to work his way further down. A trail of glistening saliva made its way down the neck to his erect nipple, Or once again Zuko was caught up with nibbling on the hardened spot. His thumb swiped over the moistened lump <laughs> circling around it. <laughs> he could feel the body beneath him lightly shiver making it look back up at the avatar's face, lost in
3: pleasure. And I'm like, is it hot in here? Wow, (laughs) can you open a window?
1: (laughs) Prakash, glistening saliva. Erect
3: nipple. Moist
1: lump. A lot of good language. I'm going to make a word cloud out of these. (laughs) Put it on a PowerPoint. (laughs)
2: That was quite beautiful. Prakash, where can we can we read this anywhere? It is on (laughs) fanfiction.net. Look up Truth or Dare, hang and Zuko. (laughs) Period.
1: I think what's so funny about fanfic is, especially the one you read and the one I'm gonna read, is I was a fucking virgin. Yeah, like
2: (laughs) I hadn't even kissed a boy yet.
1: (laughs) Literally had not had my first kiss, and I'm out here talking about, like... Trails of saliva. Trails of saliva. Moist lumps. Hardened members. Digits Mm. in holes. My
2: favorite is just, like, the language we use because we were afraid, like, saying, like, erection too much was, like, dirty. Yeah. Like, I think in here somewhere, he uses, like, his ascendance. Like...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, When I was preparing for coming on to the show, I was reading through a lot of Nigella Lawson fan fiction. Mm. Nigella is a um, British food personality for anyone who doesn't know. And there are so many references to penises as his hard member or his his love Mm. object and things like that. It's like, yeah, just people can't talk about um, genitalia. In fanfiction, fiction, apparently. Yeah. Period. I mean, that's what happens when it's literally like 14-year-old <laughs>
2: girls. Yeah. <laughs> like writing fanfic. And then they grow up and we just never get our full frontal male nudity in film. And that's the arc. <laughs>
1: period. <laughs> Colin, I am so ready to hear this gentrification of Baltimore Avenor Avenue
3: Erotica. Okay, so the title of this piece is The Gentrification of the Corridor. And it follows, it takes place around 2003 when Penn started to kind of evolve West Philadelphia in a more, um, like, formal, physical way. And this excerpt is from around the middle. I'm not going to introduce any of the characters because I don't think I need to. And here we go. The cold December sun streamed through the grimy, broken window onto Dexter the Anarchist, sprawled on a torn mattress on the floor of the squalid and wretched squat. Ho, oh, he exclaimed, sitting up suddenly and burying his filthy, dreadlocked head in his hands. My head is throbbing like a fucking bomb. What the fuck was I doing last night? He paused, pardon my French. Smack, crack cocaine, ecstasy, and horse tranquilizers, retorted Gretchen, looking down at him dully. Her enormous but unwashed breasts shifted massively beneath her ragged peasant blouse, <laughs> under which she wore no bra.
2: Peasant blouse?
3: <laughs> unwashed breasts? <laughs> She wasn't wearing a bra. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All those drugs: crack, cocaine, horse tranquilizers,
2: ecstasy, ecstasy, a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Some may call that a Shirley Temple. I call that a Tuesday night.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna do my fanfic. Um, so I wrote this. It's a Kai Su fanfic. So um, Kai and Kyungsu from EXO. Um, I Published it online, and it is a purely one-shot smut fanfic. Mm-hmm. Can we find this if we Google your name? You can't find it under my name, but you can find it under my pen name. Ooh. Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll start off. <clears throat> I've been waiting all day for this, Daddy. Kyungsoo said between staggered breaths and hard kisses. I cooked for Daddy. I lit his favorite candles, and I even tried to look super sexy for you today. Kyungsoo said as he wiggled his bare ass. Jonghyun already had a painful heart on in his tailored suit pants, and as he reached down to take off his pants, Kyungsoo grabs his hand and says, no, daddy, I'll do it for you.
2: That's it.
3: Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Tailored, a pastiche. Tailored suit pants. Mm. Really developing the character. I re- I tried. You I tried. The fanfic
1: is <laughs> and called... you succeeded. <laughs> fanfic is called Blackout. <laughs> 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 There was a blackout, and Kyungsoo and Kai got into it. <laughs> I think this is just evidence that I needed to be fucked. <laughs> I need to lose my virginity ASAP.
2: My favorite is the use of the word daddy about five times in yeah. quick succession. A bottom was born. <laughs> <laughs> a footnote for anyone who's interested, Google Veronica from Riverdale saying daddy for ten minutes straight. <laughs> and.
1: On that note,
3: we love fan fiction. We do. We adore fan fiction. Fantasy is important for any healthy sex life.
1: Thank you, Colin, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. And coming up next, we are going to have a conversation with Ronnie and Teddy about being out in the workplace and how queerness can help us get jobs and sometimes make them more complicated.
2: See you. back, listeners. We're here with Ronnie Eyer and Teddy Krakowski to talk a little bit about queerness, the workplace, and everything in between. Ronnie, Teddy, do you want to introduce our listeners to your beautiful voices?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm Ronnie. Um, I'm a senior in engineering, studying network and social systems engineering.
4: Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Teddy. Uh, I'm a senior in engineering as well, studying material science and engineering.
2: And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where you've worked in the past? It doesn't have to be everywhere, because you probably have had brilliant, illustrious careers already, three years of your <laughs> college experience. But maybe just like your most recent workplace.
0: Um, yeah, so I, uh, for the past two summers, worked at Google, a big corporation. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so just You may soft- have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> people have heard of it. Small <laughs> um, mom and pop, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Me and 90,000 people, we all work at Google. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and so I was, like, an, a software engineering intern um, working on different, like, large all-male teams over there. <laughs>
2: at our listeners, if you didn't get the memo, Bottoms on Top has gone pre-professional.
1: We're <laughs> <laughs> alliance. We're coming for you. <laughs> And what about you, Teddy? This past summer,
4: I worked for Estee Lauder um, in their hair care division.
1: So in your respective workplaces, how about you tell us a little bit about the environment there? So what are some of the defining features of your workplace? Was it comfortable for you?
0: (laughs) Um, So the first summer I worked there, I was definitely just less comfortable in every sense of the word of like not being as out as a person and then also like being a very young person. I was on this team of like 10 people and it was like me and another female intern and everyone else was like a white guy <laughs> um and and everyone else was like, seemingly straight and so I kind of had a long journey of trying to figure out how to like express myself as a queer person in this space when I like didn't even have that much practice doing it in general also like being the only woman and like me and this other girl like the only people of color <laughs> um and so it was but it was still a very supportive work environment it just took me a lot of time to figure out how to like be myself so I kind of just like I guess, had a kind of long journey of being like how will I come out to even like my other intern because she was very like wonderful very straight um, and and like my direct boss and things like that and then I kind of like drank one beer once and I like, was like ah. <laughs> 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 so and like I guess like came out because at the time I was like dating my current girlfriend but it was like the beginning of when we were dating um, and I was like oh like I have a girlfriend and they were like okay like this is no big deal right. um, but I think it was just kind of stressful to think about like sexuality and the dynamic of sexuality in a workplace especially like a corporate one um and kind of like where you're like why you would be allowed to why you would want to kind of I guess express yourself in this way and like why, the reason that you kind of have to and also the reason maybe you wouldn't want to I think um especially being like a woman on a really heavily male team
4: yeah so I feel I really liked a lot of parts of the environment over the summer so it was in um suburban Minnesota <laughs> Uh, which was a little different for me because it was, you know, I'm a mean, fast uh, New Englander, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean... You really there's... come across that. <laughs> yeah, I'm mean old teddy, you know? Um, yeah, I thought the gender balance in the workplace was actually really great um a lot of women go into like science and engineering for personal care which is really cool and yeah I, I felt really comfortable there I I guess I sort of came out in like a very casual way of just like mentioning offhand at some point being like oh yeah I went on a date with this guy or like oh I was hanging out with someone and like that sounds maybe more nefarious but um <laughs> uh and in my lab it was like the next youngest person, I think, was maybe 26 and then it was like all like 33 plus. So it was like definitely weird in that sense of me being like, you know, this 22 year old sort of like chaotic person. But it was it was still really good.
2: To what extent, you know, as you were beginning to engage with your workplace, you felt like there needed to be that moment at all, you know, where you were like, oh, I want to slip into this conversation, like this note about my authentic true self Like, when did that start to become a piece of your internal monologue, and how did that come to be, you know? Like, when did you realize queerness was a part of your workplace identity?
0: I think for me it became clear once I kind of, like, was talking to, started to have the conversation with other coworkers about, like, their dating life become more normalized. Of Like, um, my co-intern was, like, kind of going through this phase of, like, wanting to date around a lot of guys and, like, was talking a lot about her, like, guy troubles, and I was like, oh, I don't relate to this, but, like, maybe for a... Like, I wasn't really able to express why I didn't really relate to it. And then, um, like, my boss also would, like, talk about dates that he went on and stuff. And so I think that once that became, like, an active kind of part of the conversation, then I felt like I wanted to, like, be true to myself and express myself the way I wanted to, not to, like, feel left out, (laughs) I guess.
4: Yeah, I feel like I was kind of in this similar position of, like, you know, you work with people so closely. I mean, we had sort of four desks that all sort of faced inward on each other. So, like, if you turned around, you could (coughs) easily talk to people Um, and, you know, just so many casual life things come up every day about like, oh, like, my wife and I did this. My husband and I did this. Like, oh, like, we don't use this type of fertilizer because it's, like, bad for the environment or whatever <laughs> Oh yeah, the, the hair care place of Aveda is, like, super, super, like, green, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, so sort of in a similar way. And I think it's kind of funny because I'm like... Very, very out in general. So, like, to go have that awkward, like, first week or two of being, like, how much can I push this? Like, how much can I, like, be like that here is, like, a weird space. But definitely, like,
1: yeah. Was there ever any point after you came out at work that you experienced some form of, like, tokenization or something that just was a little unsavory about your identity in the workplace? And what did that look like? And how can other people deal with it?
4: Like, I'm pretty clearly gay. Uh... And I think sometimes what can happen is sort of, like, the gay best friend thing a little bit, which Mm. is not a huge deal, but, like, is just generally kind of annoying. Um...
2: I definitely feel that. Like, my freshman year, I was working uh, in a government office, (laughs) and it was my first time, like, realizing that I was, like, able to talk about my queerness publicly. So there was just, like, a lot going on, but I started talking to, like, some of the other people at this workplace and, like, you know, mentioning that, like, I had downloaded Tinder for the first time and like all these little like queer stopgates that I was running through and all of a sudden it was like the 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 two like female coworkers I had at the workplace were like oh my god you should like get drinks with us like we can go scope out guys and I was like <laughs> I love this like I love this support but it also there was like also a part of me that was like mm, like am I just like filling a role for you you know in this workplace because I was the only like queer person and that too is the only like POC person in that department so it was just like they expected me to be like the gay sassy friend <laughs> Like yeah. that, was, that was what I was supposed to fulfill so that happens yeah. I feel that one of the uh, kind of directions that I think about when I think about tokenization is like the flip side of representation um, and thinking about you know if you are one of the few queer people on your team which it sounds like some of us have been right um how do you navigate that right because you are one queer person yet in some of the decisions your team might make like there are there are things outside of the workplace that could affect queer people based on those decisions like um how much is it our responsibility to be a voice like how much is it our responsibility to not be a voice because you know the queer community is fast and we're only one person just want to hear about like if that's ever been an experience
4: for you yeah, I don't know. I was mostly looking at a microscope. Period. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but like, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a weird space to be in. I think for sure, like, I mean, we both were at like larger companies, so I'm assuming they had like an ERG that was like. Um, Oh, so a lot of companies for listeners have, like, employee resource groups, I think it stands for, or ERGs, which will, like, focus on different identities or different backgrounds as sort of, like, social support and also, like, institutional support. Um, So, like, an ERG for, like, pride, for instance, Mm -hmm. would be, like, very common.
0: Yeah, ours is called the Gagler's. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's <Cute>. corporate agenda <laughs> oh. that's so cute it's, it's cute <laughs> well
1: I wasn't so um, this past summer I wasn't working at like corporation I was working at, like pretty mid-sized publication mm. um, and representation takes up a different look especially when mm. you're actually writing and producing content and especially when you look at controversies. That, controversies that publications can face for not addressing these different nuances and sensitivities and different minority groups. So that was really interesting to ask people about how they think about that being whatever identity they may be and how they do that at work. I think that sometimes it was it felt a little helpless because you would see content but uh, what right do you have to say anything as like an intern sometimes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it really was about taking what I was doing and making sure that it was more representative of what was going on.
0: One thing that I kind of had to I guess, think about for myself was a lot of, like, the controversies that come with working at a big company, Mm -hmm. especially one that, like, has a lot of issues with regard to gender and sexual harassment and also, like, um, just general, like, Think think, things people believe about like diversity and things like that, and so there were like just a lot of moments in which I would have to kind of negotiate. Well, how does my identity as a whole kind of fit into working at this place? Like whether it's like about a memo saying that me and my co intern shouldn't work there. Like um, it was just like there was a big Google memo written by an engineer that was saying like, oh, we shouldn't have any of these diversity programs. And like Mm -hmm. the way I got my job was like program geared for women and underrepresented minorities. Kind of feeling like I have to make like a moral choice about like what it means to work at a corporation I guess is more where my um like I guess role would lie um and I worked I guess on more of a political team this summer but I didn't really ever explicitly deal with queerness within that political kind of space
1: so we've been talking about queer relationships that we form in the workplace and how those manifest but a lot of times I know especially here people do get jobs by networking and recruiting beforehand and get into internship pipelines so how do you both feel about being out and recruiting how much should we rely on identities to do that and yeah should we how do we navigate that recruiting while being queer recruiting while not being already out out how do we do that
0: when i got my first job like at at Google, um, I had to write an essay and in the essay I outed myself. It was like I had to write an essay and also do like a bunch of interviews. And so the essay was like, oh, like how was your identity shaped your experience in technology? And so it was like, well, my identity is this is what my identity is, kind of. Um, but before that, I think I hadn't really, I, I think maybe like the space of like people who are queer in CS is a little bit smaller. And so if you don't really have that community, that's like really having community has been the way that I've gotten any of the jobs that I've gotten and so kind of having that network like network of getting a referral and a job or like having people to help you do an interview or teach you how to do the whole process is like really essential and so I think if you feel kind of shut out of that um community or space then it can be a lot harder to succeed in the job kind of process
4: yeah yeah and that's also like there's the huge question of like does my queerness belong on my resume (laughs) like does like is there a space for that there um Personally, yes, carriage senior society. L-M-A-O. <laughs> in big glitter pen like cursive. I am um, the
0: treasurer. I have sent many Venmo requests. <laughs> <laughs>
4: my um,
2: name is in purple on my resume. That's my little gay homage. No. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, send your resume. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I personally have it on there just because I like you know I've done stuff with on-campus groups and like leadership things that I'm like okay like. I did some things, like, I I should be able to talk about that in an interview, Um, but I feel like also it's so case-by-case, like, I, when looking for internships, at least, I was looking for companies that, like, I knew had good ERGs, like, were supportive, not only in the sense of, like, you know, the, like, hip way it's to be supportive now, where you can just sort of, like, say things and not have policy to back it up, Um, but yeah, so...
2: I definitely, when I was, you know, in the process of recruiting and in the process of figuring out where I wanted to end up, like, very conscious about how queer I was coming across. And, like, this is this is even up until, like, last year. Um, I would just, like, when I was going in for an interview, I would just straight pass my way through mm-hmm. the interview. Like, queerness would never come up. It was on my resume. Like, I, I volunteered for the LGBT Center. Like, that was on there. But, like it was never part of the conversation and I remember like even over the summers like you know I have these ear cuffs in I would take them out while I was at work and I remember like about halfway through I was like maybe I don't want to like do this like maybe (laughs) this isn't something I need to do so I started doing like little things that felt like ways of bringing my identity back into the workplace be it like dropping more hints in a conversation (laughs) yeah pepper that in in. (laughs) Um, or even just like doing what I felt was like a more authentically queer aesthetic to me, you know, so like putting my cuffs back in and like seeing what the reaction was to each of those things, like helped me navigate how comfortable I was and like how much I could queer my work life. Um, and like the thing is, like, I realize this is like kind of foolish because I work in like academia, which is supposedly <laughs> like a place where people like come in and they're like, Beat shorts and like <laughs> flip flops. Like, I've never had a professor who like dressed up, you know? Yeah. Um, but I felt like I needed to because I was like young and I wasn't sure what the rules were. Um, so, to all y'all listeners out there who are still figuring it out, it's a process. Just figure out what you're comfortable with and go with it.
1: Have there been any organizations for any of you that have helped you be yourself in the workplace? whether they be in the workplace or outside of it. Personally, for me, I, like, attended Alpha Undergrad twice, which was really fun and, like, awesome for making, like, queer networks and really reinforced that you should be yourself at work.
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I was involved with uh, OSTEM for a while, which is um, out in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics on campus. Um, and I thought that was really cool to just be able to see, like, oh, like, A, like there are a lot of other queer STEM folks who are like looking for this type of thing maybe and B, like, oh, like there are queer adults who are in these fields and that was cool. Um, Outside of that, I've also been to O4U twice for the engineering conference. Um, I actually just started working on their admission the engineering team for it, too. So very exciting. Um, Period. Oh, jeez. He's a career gay. (laughs) If anyone has any questions about Over You, or (laughs) actually, though, um, it's really cool. Um, A lot of the conference focuses on, like, the concept of authenticity and bringing your, like, quote-unquote most authentic self to work. Um, So, yeah, it's a really great experience.
0: One of the really important groups for me on campus was Hack for Impact, which is, like, a group where um, different Penn students like build different web apps for nonprofits, um mostly in philly but also across the country um and even though it was not like and it's not an explicitly queer group but there's like a higher percentage of queer people within that space kind of relative to the average number of people <laughs> of queer people in cs <laughs> and so um through that group i actually made like all of my first queer friends and like found my first queer community and that also was like a pre-professional community of like people who i could reach out to with questions about like how i should dress when i'm going into the workplace or going into an interview or something like that and um, so I think having that community was really important, like, the beginning of my queerness and also my time being at Penn and kind of figuring out how I was going to be. And then once I got to work, the, like, you know, the Gaglers <laughs> group <laughs> the <laughs> it was really important to me. Um, and so I, like, made a bunch of, like, kind of, like, stray friends who were, like, interns and older and, like, kind of tried to make a community out of the different people I know to, like, a, I don't know, medium success,
2: Thank you so much, Teddy and Ronnie, for coming on. Thank
0: you for having us. Thank you so
2: much
4: for reaching out. Heart. <laughs>
1: thank you for listening to Bottoms on Top with myself, Andreas Pablo. And, and me, Patash Mishra. We'd like to thank our podcast producer, Sam Mitchell.
2: And our editor and creative consultant, Sammy Gordon.
1: The Wexler Studio in the Kelly Writers House. Get. Julia Score for creating our cover art. And Andrew and Ellis, who made our theme song. You, you can find him on SoundCloud as Dummy Fresh. Love y'all. See you next time.